This has been quite a week. I wrote most of this sermon before the events in Newtown, Connecticut occurred. So I thought anyway I'd preach what I wrote because it does have something to do with perhaps the disposition or the attitude uh, we might cultivate moving forward after something uh, like this that beggars description. What I thought I'd do first is to talk to you about the four major themes of Advent and uh, to see how they fit in today's readings. Next Sunday, which is the fourth Sunday of Advent, we're going to switch gears and now focus on uh, the incarnation itself and and Luke's uh, description of the birth of Jesus and so forth. But we finish really this week with the whole idea of uh, the Advent theme, of the coming of Christ. What does it mean? The first thing that we should say as a major theme in the season of Advent is what we'll hear from John the Baptist today, and that is the importance of repentance. And maybe there we'll find a connection uh, between what has occurred and how we ought to understand this in terms of our corporate disposition as a people. Because that's what John the Baptist is talking about uh, in his prophesying today and speaking to the people who came out to be baptized by him. The other theme of Advent is hope. Uh, that uh, The default position of Christian people uh, is one of hope, and that we mean from that honesty, openness, persistence, and enthusiasm. So hope is not a passive quality. It isn't a passive Christian virtue. It's one that says it is possible uh, for me to more fully understand my role in God's plan for the cosmos. Advent is also a season of expectation. And what should we be expecting with what it is that we're uh, celebrating in Advent, which is the coming or the birth of Jesus? And expectation can be understood as making effective use of the imagination to see what might be. And you know, as a people, it is important for us to think about how important our imaginative powers are and that each one is capable of using their imaginations uh, in a way that builds up and is uh, constructive and instructive. And finally, the theme of Advent that we also celebrate is one of joy and uh, celebration. Joy meaning for the Christian person that the uncertainties and the ambiguities and the difficulties of life can and will come into surer and clearer focus as we seek to center ourselves in God and align ourselves with God's purposes in the world. So let's take the reading from the prophet Zephaniah. It's the only time we ever read from the prophet Zephaniah, and you should be grateful. He makes Jeremiah look like amateur night. Remember, Zephaniah is one of the minor prophets. And a minor prophet is one that what? Has a little book. And a major prophet is one that has a big book. And Jeremiah was a major prophet and he has the biggest book of all in the Old Testament. 
So Zephaniah's prophetic ministry was exercised in the 600s B.C., before the exile, mostly in Jerusalem. And his entire focus, virtually, with the exception of today's reading, is on God's judgment. But today, he takes a little holiday and he tells us some things about God's plan, why this is an important reading for Christian people and certainly was for the, the, the writers of the Hebrew Bible, was that it showed, for example, the, the, the ability to have hope and that what we're really talking about in terms of God's action is the continuous processes whereby God seeks to restore and to reconcile and to heal. And that all faithful people can cleave to this in the midst of very difficult circumstances. And so it sets us up for the possibility of being hopeful, the possibility of being joyful, and the ability to use our imaginative powers to put ourselves in the scene. You know, one of the great spiritual contributions of Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits, was that he taught us that in our meditation, if you use Ignatian spirituality, that you read a story in the Bible, you read a passage in the Bible, and you put yourself in the scene. Who are you? And thinking about that, what would you do? How would you now make some sort of a resolve? He called it an election with regard to what it is you're going to do in any day, given day or in any given circumstance. What is your resolve? In the reading from Philippians, Paul is speaking, we are given today the theme of why we wear rose-colored vestments. If you want to call them pink, that's okay. But this is Rose Sunday, the third Sunday of Advent, and on the fourth Sunday in Lent, we'll also wear them again. We wear them twice a year. And the seasonal upbeat from the readings is the purpose of these vestments, which are a little brighter and more colorful. So in the tradition with a capital T, the old introit that was sung, which is the marching down the aisle, was Gaudete in Domine, Rejoice in the Lord, which is the opening sentence from Paul's letter today. Paul is writing to the, perhaps the healthiest of the congregations that he founded in Philippi. And he's telling them about the dispositions that they need to cultivate that flow really from their expression of generosity and their community spirit and their understanding that in some ways moving towards these qualities that I spoke to you about in Advent are corporate as well as personal and individual. So that as a people we can labor together to cultivate those traits, those abilities uh, to rejoice and to understand that we're to be instruments of that upbeat consciousness in the world. And finally, we get to John the Baptist. And here's the thing. I often wonder what you all think 
when, when this happens. Uh, we have a lot of this in the Bible, but um, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable quenchable fire. So, with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. <laughs> well, you know, there's some preachers who really can get into that, aren't there? They can do it. But it's uh, amazing to hear. What kind of good news does that sound like? I don't think John the Baptist would have been easy dinner company. But he has an important role to play. And today he does some things when he speaks about repentance. He's speaking about uh, somehow the repentance has to bear fruit. In the original language, in the Greek text, two words are used for repentance in the Bible. Metanoia, which is the most common one, which means to turn around and look at your life in a new way. Metanoia has mainly to do, in terms of its origins, with our interior emotional, spiritual, and mental states. So the resolve that we make when we look at our life in a new way is the internal resolve that you intend to do something. You intend to change in some way. But the other word that is used less frequently in the New Testament is epistrophe which means the same thing. It means to turn around and look at your life in a new way, but it is not merely the internal resolve that you, you consent to, but it is putting it in your hands. Okay, you've made this resolve. How are you going to put it into your hands? What are you going to do? Bear the fruit that befits repentance, John says, which means... Don't just talk the talk, walk the walk. Now, how would he understand that? He would understand that principally in collective or corporate terms. You and I, for the last two centuries, have lived in a culture in the West that believes in the triumph of the autonomous self as the highest good. We think about our religious convictions as a subjective thing, something that is internal and private. John the Baptist didn't think that way. Jesus didn't think that way. The people who were alive during their time did not think that way. They thought about them, what should they do as a people. And he lays out a modest social program in the reading today. People were coming to, them, to him and saying, what should we do? And he tells the tax collectors, collect only the tax that you're supposed to collect. What did that mean? That meant telling the tax collectors who were the hirelings of the Roman government to collect the percentage of tax that the Romans said they needed to collect but they had also told the tax collectors that if they collected anything above what they were to collect, they could keep it. 
So that kind of honesty would have a serious effect on the balance of your checking account. Right? To tell the soldiers not to extort from people. Not to use their power and authority for their own ends. To tell people who are prosperous and well-heeled to share what they have with people that don't have anything. This is a theme that's going to come up in Luke's gospel more than any other gospel. And remember, I've mentioned to you this book I've been reading by N.T. Wright called How God Became a King. This is in the first part of Luke's gospel, which is focusing itself on the incarnation. We're coming up on Christmas. Jesus being born, God becoming a human being, as people began to reflect about this. And so often, for many centuries, what we've done properly this time of year to focus on that, and then fast forward to Lent, where we get Jesus' trial, crucifixion, death, and resurrection, the cross. Well, what about the middle bit in the Gospels? Because what John the Baptist is speaking about today, Jesus will have a lot to say about in the rest of Luke's Gospel. The middle part. So somehow our behavior is going to have something to do with how society gets rescued from itself. What we experience this week is complex to a degree. There are no easy answers to how we confront this. There are so many issues that are involved, no facile explanation will do. Let me give There are 300 million guns in circulation in the United States today. The horse is out of the barn. Gun ownership is at an all-time low. People who have concealed carry permits commit fewer crimes than people who don't, who are gun owners. Politicians in this country are not going near this with a 10-foot pole, fearful that they're going to get primaried in their districts or in their states. It is very difficult to detect mental illness in people even though we know the signs, most of us parents don't know them or recognize them unless things become such so alarming that we're going to have to do something about seeking professional help. And then, when we seek professional help, they tell us there's nothing that we can do until they do something. Right? Act out. So we need to do some careful thinking about this because the biblical text today has said to us we need to bear the fruits that befit repentance. And we need to somehow learn how to reorganize ourselves here because this is not working. This is not working. So John the Baptist is saying something to us about uh, the necessity to repent not in the personal sense, although that's very uh, important,
but in the corporate sense. It's a word to all of us. So what do we do? Well, one of the things that we can do is, if you hear me say all the time, you and I are called to be transparencies and reflections of God's grace and love to the world. One of the things that you can do is to say, I am going to be on the right side of peacemaking. I'm going to do something about uh, making one inch less this a more, uh, the violent society that it is. We maybe have to do something about taking video games away from boys who stay up all night long killing things on the video game. It's pernicious. And that kind of disposition and interior, interior emotional, spiritual, and mental state that it cultivates is no good. And if somebody has a serious issue, a health problem, it may exacerbate it to a degree that we don't want to even think about after this week. So maybe that's not so hard to begin because we can do that at a very, in a very intimate level in the family and in schools and in other places. So John the Baptist today gives us, uh, in some ways, uh, the beginning of a program. The way in which we can begin to think about this and not be defeated by the complexities. You, you can understand why John the Baptist got his head cut off after you read this today. You can't imagine how explosive that would have been to have said that in the ancient Near East in that time. It was earth shattering. Well, let's you and I think a little bit about how we might uh, labor to be a little earth shattering as Christian people in 2012. Amen.